Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Rebecca Ryan. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. Looking forward to this interesting conversation. You know, as an entrepreneur, how can I possibly predict the future and anticipate and prepare for you know, possible impacts on my small business. Well, Rebecca Ryan is with me today to explain how, without a magical crystal ball, a method of how she helps her clients see what's coming. So to receive more information about the How of Business, including the links to the show notes page for this episode, and how to continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. So Rebecca Ryan is a noted top 50 professional futurist, and we'll, we'll get her to explain what that is. What is a futurist? She's also an economist, a best-selling author, and an entrepreneur herself. And as the founder of Next Generation Consulting, she empowers organizations to create bold and ambitious futures, and it's plural, and I'll come back to that emphasis. Rebecca is a graduate of Drake University with a certificate in strategic foresight, from the University of Houston, and she is on the executive committee of the Global Association of Professional Futurists. Rebecca lives in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Rebecca Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Excited to have this conversation. You know, this is one of those uh, that it can get really woo-woo fast, but that's not your approach, and so that's why I'm excited about it. You you apply what I would refer to in layman's term as a more scientific approach to thinking about what might be coming. But before we go there, interested in how the heck you became a futurist. You studied, if I got it right, international relations and economics in college, and then went into various jobs, as you say, over the next uh, several years. Tell me about that early start and the beginnings of what you did after school. Yeah. So, um, boy, when I graduated with my degrees in international relations and economics, I mean, this is kind of taking us back, but, you know, this was the era of Madeleine Albright, mm. you know, being the first woman secretary of state. And I thought about going into the CIA or the FBI. Um, I was very interested in the CIA because I had played professional basketball and studied in Budapest, Hungary and Freiburg, Germany. And I thought, oh, I could, you know, be a global citizen. And then as often happens, you know, life has other plans. So I fell in love with somebody and thought I was going to get married. And so I came back to the States um, after working overseas for just a minute after college graduation. And then I proceeded to have five jobs in four years. I mean, wow. it turns out I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> terrible. And why is that? Well, Oh man, this hubris probably. I just, I saw some things happening that uh, I thought, oh, this could be done better. And then in one job, I had taken the ideas that I thought could make not just my job, but other people's jobs, because we were all interdependent, like work differently. And I found out that the boss took that idea, put his own cover memo, memo on <laughs> my write-up and sent it up to the president. And I didn't find this out until the president came to me and said, oh, Tom has these ideas about how we could make some things better. You're going to be directly affected by this. What do you think? <laughs> and I'm reading through this memo and I'm like, oh my God, John, like 
I wrote this memo, like this is my memo. And so, you know, I had that as one of my first experiences, which just really put a sour taste in my mouth about how you share credit and, and take credit um, in a team environment. And then I worked, I had some really exciting jobs for the Iowa Department of Education and the Iowa Department of Economic Development, helping get students um, ready for future jobs. And that was really exciting. But then I had an opportunity to um, do some freelance work. And that was a revelation to me. I mean, this was like the late 1990s before the word solopreneur was even, you know, invented and being a gig worker that like, who was a gig worker? Like right. my parents were so upset that I, <laughs> they were like, why can't you just keep a job and work there for 35 years? Like your father did. And that just wasn't my bag. Yeah. And, and so this focus on the future, and as we call it a futurist, where, where, where did that evolve from? Yeah. So when I started my business uh, 25 years ago, I called it Next Generation Consulting because I was focused on helping current managers and leaders understand the next generation of workers. So at the time, managers and leaders were baby boomers and the next generation of workers were Gen Xers. And so th that's how I started. And it wasn't until the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. I mean, I'd had a pretty long run by that time doing the generational thing. But during the recession, I found out that there is this professional field called foresight. And this was a revelation to me. It was like, it was like the heavens opened and the angels sang. <laughs> it was like, I found my people because what futurists do is what I had been doing without a term, but it was like tracking trends and figuring out what the future was likely going to be and how we could be ready for the future. Yeah. So I went back to school and got my certificate in strategic foresight at the University of Houston. And that's where, you know, that's what I continue to do now. I'd say you mentioned you were a pro basketball player. What, what fit that in into the timeline here? When did you do the basketball? Yeah. So I did the pro basketball thing when I was still an undergraduate. So my junior year abroad, I, I did a junior year abroad. Uh, I strongly encourage people to do this. And I was dared by some guys in my program to try out for this team. We didn't know what it was. And I had been a very serious basketball player um, in high school and in college, okay. but I had blown my knee out and wasn't uh, able to play collegiate ball. So um, they double dog dared me to try out for this team. And, you know, those of us who, who've gone, gone our own way, uh, we can't turn down a double dog dare. Right. So I did on a dare, I tried out for this team and the most surprised person was me that I made the team. What, what did, what do you take away from that experience that you think you still apply today? Yeah. I think one thing is, um, you know, you, you need to put in the practice to get to the game. You know, I mean, there are just, all of us have a craft that we work on. Um, recently I watched the Naomi, the Naomi, excuse me, Osaka uh, documentary on Netflix mm. and she and Kobe Bryant were friends, you know, before he, he, he died unexpectedly and early. And the thing Kobe always told Naomi was, focus on your craft, focus on your craft. Like you get to have this platform because you're great at your craft. And that is true. I mean, it was true for me playing professional basketball and it is true for me as an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's great to hear you nodding because I think <laughs> those of us who have made it, you know, 25 years is not nothing. Um, 
we have made it because we pull our boots on every day and we show up like the professionals we, we want to be someday. Yeah. And it's about the craft. Yeah. I mean, I, the way that the reason I was reacting to it is I think in business, then we have to be students of business as well as whatever particular industry we are in. Right. And for me with podcasting, that's the way I look at it is I need to be a student of this craft so that I can get better at it. Otherwise, what am I doing? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So you've been an owner now what you said when did you start the, the business how long ago so was it? what is 2022 minus 25 1997 a long time ago you've been a business owner for a while what do you, would you say it does for you now to be your own boss what does, how does it, do it serve me? you how yeah. does it provide for you what is it that it satisfies for you well, the top thing is making a difference for future generations. So I'm, I don't know why. But, but you I'm, could do that working for somebody else, couldn't you? There aren't that many working futurists in the I United see. States. I see. Um, there are more now since the pandemic, but we, the America had futurists like throughout the White House and the U.S. Congress between FDR and Carter, but um in 1981, we just stopped using futurists at the federal level. And so I, I feel like Foresight really lost some high level champions who were doing it at a very high professional level. And, and I think we've sort of been in a bit of a trough in terms of the number of people who professionally work in this field. Um, but now I think it's back on the rise. Like Asia right now is exploding. Um, for example, the a senator in the Philippines allocated millions of dollars to developing their foresight competency. And many of the colleges and universities have stood up new programs in foresight, and they are, are all full and have wait lists. So I think we're, we're kind of having a second spring in foresight right now. But, um, you know, to, to your question, yeah, now in my business, I get to wake up helping clients design better futures for kids that I'll probably never meet. And that's very motivating for me. Um, the other thing, kind of back to your point about the two crafts that we have to practice in business, we have to be really good at running our business and we have to be good at the craft that makes our business possible. Um, I get so much satisfaction from helping up and comers um, develop their sea legs for foresight. It's one of the, it's one of the great delights of my life right now. And I think it's probably my life stage. I just turned 50. Um, and it's feeling also like I have a contribution to make, like I've put in my time. I, I think I, I know how to do this now. <laughs> yeah. And, and in part it's because certainly from a business owner perspective, the better I get at this, the better we all are because the more effective uh, my business is, the better I contribute to the economy and to our society and the world at large. Yeah, there is something much bigger than the work itself at play. And as when you when you're running your own ship, I mean, the good news is that's up to you to determine what that is. And the bad news is that's up to you to determine what that is. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into it some more. So, so define for me a little bit more about what a professional futurist does. What is it that you do? Yeah, so first of all, the term professional futurist really means something. Um, the Association of Professional Futurists is a global association that certifies people as professional futurists. So behind my name, 
I have APF, Association of Professional Futurists. So anybody can call themselves a futurist and many people do, but professional futurists, much like, um, you know, certified public accountants or, you know, people who've passed the bar exam and practice law or people who've gone to cosmetology school and know how to cut hair, you know, in a safe, in a safe way, there is a certification process to being a professional futurist. So that's kind of part one, but the, the bigger headline that I think your, your audience probably wants to hear is what do you actually do? Right. And, and so, you know, a, a week in the life for me is um, paying attention So I scan about 1,100 sources of information for signals and trends. We'll talk more about that later. Um, Because foresight is is really three things, okay? It's a mindset. So it's like, okay, how can I think like a futurist about these things? But it's also, the second category is it's a set of techniques. So how do you do horizon scanning? How do you um, build scenarios? etc. And the third thing in our practice is foresight is also a process. We have a four phase process that we take clients through. So, you know, a week for me is like I said, doing, doing some scanning and I do that uh, by myself, but then I meet with a team of other futurists and people who are foresight minded. In fact, it's going to happen in a couple hours after we're done here. We meet for one hour. There are about 14 people invited and maybe seven of us show up on any given week. And we each come with one signal of the future that we've discovered since the last time we were together. We all contribute that signal. And then we take turns talking about how that signal might be related to other things we're seeing. Um, And that's, so we call it our signals and sense making Mm -hmm. panel. So that, that, that is like the most important hour of my week. Uh, every week is that hour with that group. And then I work a lot with clients on, you know, whatever phase of our process they're in, um, helping them think more imaginatively, helping them learn some of the techniques of how they can think more like futurists. And, you know, end to end, it's astonishing to see somebody go through this process because, They come out on the other side, number one, saying, I'm never going to plan the same way again. Mm. Um, Their minds are so opened. But the other thing is they feel like they're in on a secret. You know, they're like, they're like, ooh, this is a competitive advantage for my firm or for, you know, what I've got cooking. Yeah. Just making a note here. Great insights. The other thing that, that I found that you speak to in doing the research which, um, which, which was a good learning uh, opportunity for me is I would have assumed that what you do is to predict one future, but in fact, what you do in this process is to predict futures with an S. So speak to that for a moment, because I think that's such a critical component here. Henry, I'm so glad you picked up on that because I, I think that too is the difference between being a futurist and being a professional futurist because professional futurists don't predict a single future. They help clients imagine multiple plausible futures because we all know that there's not one single future. There are so many variables and so many dependencies and interdependencies. So with foresight, what we do, like our process is we use an approach called the aspirational futures approach. It was invented by Clem Beesold and Jonathan Peck at the Institute for Alternative Futures. And our approach is we help clients imagine four 
futures. And again, none of these is going to be the future, but when you look across the diaspora of the four futures, you get a pretty good sense of what you need to be prepared for. And so let me just run through the four futures. The first future is the business as usual future. So this is kind of the, um, we call it the expectable future. Like if we, if, if my company or if my community just kind of continues to do the same things that's always done, and we know what the expected disruptions are or, you know, trends are, where do we think we're going to be at the end of the time period we've agreed to? So many of our clients will use a 10-year or a 20-year time frame as their horizon. So what is the expectable future within that time horizon? And then we ask them to go a little dark, a little, a little Eeyore, a little prepper, a little sad trombone. And we say, all right, what about a challenging future? What if you made some of the wrong bets at the wrong time? What if you didn't end some of the things you know you should end? What if you made one or two bad hires? What if um, we had another economic recession or another pandemic or some other disruption that's beyond your control? Where would you be in the time horizon in the challenging future? And that usually, that scenario should come with like a Xanax or a shot of bourbon because that's a pretty sad scenario to consider. But we think it's important to look at the sort of the lower limit of the plausible future. And then we do two futures. So this would be futures number three and future number four that are aspirational or visionary. And it's a, commonly people are like, why are we doing two visionary futures? Why aren't we just doing one? Like we've only done one challenging future. Why aren't we doing one aspirational future? And there are two reasons for it. One is if you present a client with three scenarios, a really bad one, a really great one, and a middle of the road one, guess which one they pick? We take the middle always. Exactly. They just naturally want to go towards the middle. Well, that's not that useful, right? I mean, we should be thinking about a wide aperture of options. The other reason we do two aspirational futures is when you ask people, do you think the future is going to be better than today or worse than today? Guess what the majority of Americans at least say? Well, that's an interesting question because I think it depends on who you're asking. I think if you ask most entrepreneurs, we tend to be optimistic, but maybe, right. but maybe the mood of the country might be pessimistic, depending on what's going on with the economy or whatever, so, you know, the pandemic and so forth. So I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. So the last research I saw was that the largest clump, it was only 43%, but it was the largest group of Americans when asked, will the future be worse or better? 43% said, oh, it'll be worse. Interesting. But you're right. We you know, entrepreneurs and people with side hustles that really light them up and whatnot, we are optimistic. I mean, there's a reason we step out into the void of of the unknown. Um, But the reason we do two aspirational futures is to help people who might be naturally prone to thinking that the future is going to be terrible. We give them two options for how we just try to beat them with numbers, you know, (laughs) give them two options for how it could be better. And so those so tell me a little bit about those two options. Is it is it that number four is, um, you know, best case scenario? Like sometimes when I do analysis, I'll do a worst case scenario, a likely, and a best case scenario. Or the is that what we're talking about here in this graduation between three and four? Yeah. Oh, I like. I first of all, I love that you're already doing this with your clients. That's that's brilliant. The difference for us generally is is this: um, many of our clients are either in the public sector or work 
adjacent to the public sector. So um, the public sector would be like the city of Las Vegas, right, as a client, and the uh, public sector adjacent might be the engineering company that's helping them manage their wastewater and their energy, right? So um, generally what we do with those aspirational scenarios is we have one of the aspirational scenarios be a bottom up or like a grassroots driven aspirational scenarios where like citizens help drive the change. And the second aspirational future, we say, okay, what if the regulatory environment or, you know, the things that are beyond your control, what if that was really the seed for um, these aspirational futures? So we give them two sort of on-ramps to what those aspirational futures could be. Mm -hmm. How would I translate that then to, to a, a business where I don't have necessarily those influences of the citizenry or government, I mean, government or impact, usually when I look at that from a business perspective, it's potentially negative, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I've done this process for myself and for my company as well. And the way that I divided it is, okay, in, in the first aspirational scenario, what if we did the exact right things at the exact right time and had the exact right people and made the exact right level of investment? Mm -hmm. So we, we look at the things we can control yeah. and say, how could we play that out? And then uh, on the other hand, we would look at an aspirational future where the market really favors what it is we're doing. Like right. if we got the New York times to write a piece, you know, if, or if they, they found us and, and, you know, I, I'm sorry to say it, but the pandemic has been good for business because mm -hmm. people are good and spooked about the future. So right. big disruptions tend to be good for our business as well. Not that we wish them on anybody, but it's true that we benefit. Yeah. Going back to though, the, the government control, it could be, you know, let's say the United States decides we're going to go to off of fossil fuels and go to battery electric power by whatever year. Well, that now I could plan for being able to serve the market with that influence that comes from outside of my business. There you go. You're exact. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. I got it. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. What I'd like you to, to then you touched on is let's start, start talking about this process that you use and help people understand as we're talking about, as you termed it, strategic foresight. And I love that term because it's a little less sounding like I'm going to, uh, you know, read your cards and be a fortune teller. <laughs> and that's what I also liked about the multiple futures, as you just explained. Uh, but this process that you call the foresight process, introduce that if you would, please. Yeah. So this is the foresight process that I've created that my clients use. And it, the, the acronym would be SIDD, like SID. Um, so we start with sensing S is for sensing and we help our clients sense the trends. Now this is data. This is not opinions. This is data in the sensing phase. What is happening in our market and what is happening inside of our organization? And I'll give you some quick examples. Like we're working with a community right now where there is water scarcity and the projections for that water scarcity are not awesome. You know, they're not great projections. And yet we've got to be able to face this data because it's going to influence how we plan in this community, how we think about the future and so forth. So that would be an example of sensing, 
you know, sort of the, the environment around us. But then inside that organization, we also know, and this is true for many organizations, there will be a lot of retirements coming up. You know, there are a lot of baby boomers who are, they've got one or two more years left before they're going to retire. And so that is something that we have to account for in this sensing uh, phase as well. So what's happening outside in the market that I'm trying to serve, but then also what's happening inside. So for listeners of this podcast, like if you're a solopreneur, like if you're a one person shop, one of the things you should be thinking about is like, how's your health? Is it improving? Is it not improving? How much more do you want to work in the future? Do you want to work more? Do you want to work less? Are you going to add staff? Are you going to scale back staff? Are you going to keep the staff the same? Those are the sort of internal questions you want to ask yourself about your own trends. Then the next phase starts with an I and it's for imagining. And if your listeners just want to rewind a few minutes and listen to the four scenarios, that's what we do in the imagining phase. We imagine these four scenarios. What could happen based on the trends, the data that we looked at in the previous part of the cycle? And then we come to the first D. So after imagining four futures, we come to D, defining. And this is where we say, what do we want to happen? You know, so when we look at the, across these four futures, we see a range of different outcomes, but in the defining phase, we ask, okay, what can we control or influence that can help us across all those futures? Right. We're looking across all four of them to either mitigate or defend or take advantage of one of those future outcome potentials. That's exactly right. I love that word mitigate because you are, you're trying to mitigate against risk and external forces that could hurt your future, but you're also trying to optimize the investments, the people, everything that you can control or influence that could help you across a brain, a, a range of those futures. And that brings us to the final D. A lot of futurists don't do this phase, but we are extremely practical. I mean, I'm from the Midwest, you know, like you have to shovel your own sidewalk. So we we come to the final D, which is doing. So as a result of this strategic foresight process, what are we going to do on Monday that's going to help us move towards the future that we want to bring to bear? And is, is part of that doing uh, relate to a different way of doing planning? Or well, is it taking action on that plan? That's a, oh man, you're an excellent interviewer. Um, So in the defining phase, we, we do our planning and we do it slightly as, as futurists, we do it slightly different than strategic planners. And it's, it has everything to do with this word back casting. So as futurists, if we knew that our planning horizon was 2040 as an example, right. And we, we did a really good job of identifying, okay, what are the things that we can control or influence that are going to give us the future we want by 2040? And we get really clear about what those visions are. Then the planning that happens in that phase, we call backcasting because we say, all right, if this is what a successful 2040 looks like, what do we have to be doing in 2035 to enable 2040 success? And then what do we have to be doing by 2030 to enable 2035 success? So we, we do planning, but our 
origin point is the future and we plan backwards to today. So the plan is in place by the time we get done with defining. So then doing is a matter of um, the plan is done, but now we've got to find a way to work on the future, even while we're juggling all of our current, um, you know, our current activities and so forth. So we, we can use the, a process like strategic doing, which is, it requires no money and no permission. Just a couple people have to get together and say, all right, what, what could we create that would help us, you know, get the future that we've envisioned and that we're planning for another option, the Covey, you know, the Stephen Covey group has put out the, the 4DX model, the four disciplines of execution. That's another model that some of our clients use to start taking action on the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I'm thinking about it, uh, Rebecca, from a small business perspective, a couple things, one of them you triggered by what you said you have coming up this afternoon. And then on this point, it's got to be something that now in addition to the day-to-day operations and running the business and putting out the fires that I allocate some time to begin doing on this plan. But I also can see where we can start as small business owners, and we maybe some of you already do this, to, to have these conversations with other business owners to collaborate like you guys do and, and thinking about this signal that we're seeing and this plan that we have. How are you addressing this? Because these are longer-term issues. So from a competitive perspective, maybe there isn't as much limitation there. So that's something that comes to my head. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, in the same way that some of us have mastermind groups for our business, right? This could be the first 10 minutes of every mastermind meeting is to say, Mm -hmm. is anybody noticing any signals? I do this with my ecosystem of um, like partners and subcontractors. You know, when we get on the horn to talk about whatever project we're working on, I'll just be like, hey, what are you noticing in your world right now that's a little bit new or different? And then I share back and forth. And it is astonishing like how things line up. Like, you know, my graphic designer, for example, who works a lot in the outdoor retail industry, um, he'll notice that all of a sudden he's starting to get a lot more branding work. And I'm like, oh my God, we're starting to get a lot more calls about doing strategic planning. It's like, you know, the cork's been let out of the bottle and now everybody's anxious to kind of get back to some of these projects that they've been putting on the back burner. So it's really a useful, lightweight thing that you can do is like, hey, what are you noticing in your world? Yeah, great point. Let's let's talk about noticing because I think that's such a critical component. And and I think that I have been good at that because I've always been a curious person. And I think most entrepreneurs lean that way. But no, tell me a little bit more about how I put this into practice. For me, besides the obvious of, you know, what is the market doing? What are my customers telling me? And, and that is a key component, right? As business owners, mm-hmm. we got to stay as close to the customer as possible so that we can hear what they're telling us. So we can notice how they're responding. But broader than that, I, I always approached it. Uh, you know, I always give the example. I've, I've been, I grew up going to Disney world and noticing things, the little details and why and how people respond to it. Are those the kinds of things that I can continue to be focused on as a small business owner on this point of noticing? Or is it broader than that? Or am I missing it? No, no, no. I think you're, you're hitting it on the head. I'm just thinking about our listeners and I'm thinking about my own entrepreneurial journey. And I think we're best at noticing when we're just starting out Mm, uh, or when we're, or when we're shifting gears, because we are trying to get our timing right and get our pitch right and figure out who our customers are. And so we are, 
you know, it's like, it's in our interest to pay very close attention to these things. And then if you're good, you start to get busy. And then, yeah, pretty and then soon- all that noise blocks everything <laughs> out, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm heads down now. That's exactly right. So you're head up when you're getting started or you're trying to launch something new and then you get head down because of the curse of success. Like, oh, guess what? You're successful. Now everybody wants you to do that thing. And so this has certainly been true for me. There were times in my business where I've been very good at noticing. And then there were times in my business I was not good at noticing and I suffered as a result of it. So I think the the master move here is to number one, recognize where you're at in that cycle. And if you are head down, like you're crushed under the amount of work that you have, what is the space that you can carve out for yourself? And I'm not saying new time, but like maybe there's something that you already do Mm -hmm. that's good for your body and soul. Like I walk my dogs every day. And when I'm head down, I love that expression. When I'm head down, I'm listening to a podcast, like I'm filling my ears with something else. But it is so much better for me if I lift my head up, put my earbuds back in their case, and just pay attention to what's happening around me. Because, um, you know, in my little neighborhood over the last two years, I've noticed some astonishing signals. Like I remember the first time that I saw a face mask uh, as litter on my neighbor's front lawn. I had never seen that before. I took Hmm. a picture of it. I thought, is this going to be a signal of the future? Mm -hmm. There's, um, There's public art that's going up that captures the zeitgeist of that artist of that moment. I take pictures of that. I mean, I'm constantly taking pictures of things. For me, that's kind of my, the way that I remember, right? I'll take a picture of something that it's like, is this a signal of the future? So I, I suggest tying your noticing to another habit that you're already doing that you enjoy, because then you're just more likely to do it. Yeah, no, I love that. It was very practical and make, makes a lot of sense. All right. As I start to wrap it up, though, I have to ask you, you, you wrote a blog article, I think it was about this recently, and it's such a hot topic. And so I, I can't miss getting your thoughts on the future of remote work. Um, we could talk about that for hours, but just briefly, what, what are your thoughts, especially from, let's look at it from an employer's perspective, because that's, that's who I am, right? So uh, I see that there is this balance that we're struggling to strike where I get that the, uh, for a lot of knowledge workers in particular, that flexibility is positive, but I also maybe am old school in thinking that productivity is affected especially collaborative creativity is affected by that remoteness. But the question I have for you is, where do you think this is going to go? So I want to answer this primarily as a business owner um, and not as a futurist crystal ball gazer, because this really is of paramount importance for me as well. The upside of remote work is that I have more access to more talent than I've ever had when I was committed to being a Madison, Wisconsin based company, because I create, I create a a limit on my talent pool. You know, Madison is not a big city. So if you had to live here um, and be willing to come into an office, then I was limiting my talent pool. So I really love the idea of remote work and it works in an environment like ours, right? Where we're knowledge workers, we're information workers um, because it doesn't work for grocery stores or you know other kinds of place-based of work. So, mm-hmm. um, but here's, here's the way I'm thinking of it is 
what kind of culture do I want to have? That's where I start. What kind of workplace experience do I want to have? And what matters to my people? And if I can start with those two questions, I can, I have complete creativity to design whatever culture I want. And the way that we we're settling this question for ourselves is the kind of workplace I want is one where people can bring their whole selves to work, where they don't feel like they have to code or pretend to be someone that they're not, you know, if you're having a crap day, it's okay to say I'm having a crap day, you know, like that's fine. Um, likewise, if you're jamming, we want to know that too, but we want people to bring their whole selves to work and the kind of, the kind of company that I want, I want this to be a place where people can do the best work of their lives. Mm -hmm. And in my case, what matters the most to my people is autonomy. They want autonomy. They say, I want the freedom to do great work, which means in our case, we only have one meeting every week. It's, it's an all hands meeting. You have to be there unless, you know, you're doing client work somewhere else or you're on vacation, but like we only meet for 75 minutes every week. Other than that, I have office hours, um, that clients or staff can plug into from one to three on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoons, 20 to 30 minutes are the max meeting times. Cause if you can't settle it in 20 minutes, like then we probably need to have a throwdown. Mm -hmm. And then we do these work sprints where um, like, I'll give you an example. When we did our first work sprint, we were taking all of our blogs off of medium and putting them back onto our own domain. And uh, for three days in a row, for 90 minutes on each of those days, we all got, this is so like old school, low tech, mm -hmm. we got on a conference call line. So we were only audio with each other. And we were, we had two shared workspaces that we were collaborating on in real time, a Google doc and a mural document so that we could all see what everybody was doing. And we just agreed like who was going to do what. And like, you could literally see like the task list going down as I finished, as Yaz finished, as Lisa finished. And then, you know, we had the open chat. So it was like, we were all together and Lisa would say like, I can't find the image that was on this blog. Does anybody know where this is? And Yaz would be like, yeah, let me, I'll drag it. I'll, you know, I'll put it in the chat right now. And so it was just magical and it was great team building. We got a huge project done that none of us wanted to do by ourselves. And it was a, it was just a great way to like be together. So I just think the two questions again, what kind of culture do I want to create and what do my employees really value? What do my people really value? Those are the yellow lines on the road. All the rest of it, for me at least, are we in the very same office building? Um, you know, how often do we breathe the same air and eat from the same, you know, buffet line that seems secondary. Okay. Excellent. Very good. Thanks for that insight and that perspective in your, uh, just one follow-up question in your organization, then how often do you get together in person, everybody who can, or, or yeah, the plan is mm -hmm, the plan is when it's safe for everybody, we'll be together twice a year. Um, and it'll probably be spring and fall for us because I want everybody to come here to Madison because I okay. want to cook for my people Got it. Um, and for, for four days. So get in on day one, work hard day two, three, and four and leave on the, the fourth day in the afternoon. Brilliant. All right. Tell us uh, what we, we haven't already, don't already know, or give us the, the, the synopsis on, again, the services that you offer through Next Generation Consulting. Yeah, so we offer um, training on how to think like a futurist. So this is 
you know, popular for individuals and for executive teams and boards. We offer that four-phase foresight process, sensing, imagining, defining, and doing, and that takes between six and 12 months, depending on the scale of the organization. Um, I keynote at conferences around the world, and we have advisory services. So if people want like, I just need 90 minutes of your time, I want to run something by you, you know, we'll do that as well. And then there's lots of information. That's where I did most of the research on your website. So tell us where to go for that. Uh, RebeccaRyan.com. And Rebecca is spelled R-E-B-E-C-C-A. Ryan, like the boy's name, R-Y-A-N.com. Excellent. All right. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. You've written a couple of books that we haven't spoken to specifically, but they are Regeneration, a Manifesto for America's Next Leaders. And Rebecca also wrote the book, Live First, Work Second. Uh, In addition to those books, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, the book that I'm just raving about right now is The Good Ancestor. Um, It's about how we can be good ancestors. And he goes through five shifts we need to make in how we think about time and how we think about legacy. I can see where that ties into how important it is for you to leave a legacy, to think about future generations and the work that you do. You're on to me, Henry Lopez. (laughs) You're so hard to read. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that recommendation. I had not had that recommended, so I appreciate that. We'll have a link to it as well as all the other links on the show notes page of this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Rebecca, summarize it with what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about as small business owners building, as you call it, strategic foresight so that it helps me better navigate my business. What's one thing you want us to take away? I want to invite slash challenge every listener to broaden their inputs. As we get older, we see more of the same people. We have more of the same conversations. And I feel like, you know, coming out of COVID, there is sort of a staleness that a lot Mm -hmm. of us have. Mm -hmm. So broaden your inputs and start noticing the signals of the future that are happening all around you right now. And I think one of the reasons it's been um, stagnant stagnant is we haven't been able to travel. I, I find that travel within whatever your means are or desires are, but I mean, it could be as simple as traveling to your local mall, for goodness sakes, but, but travel, I've always seen it as that opportunity to observe and pay attention and broaden my inputs. That's a really good point. And you had mentioned like Disneyland earlier, and I wanted to tag up on that because when we are in a new environment, we do have to pay attention differently. It's, you know, it's interesting because some of the futurists I admire the most are immigrants. And what do immigrants have to do? Like they have to drop into a culture and figure out how to not walk in the outdoor and, you know, how to count and all these things. And so anytime you can put yourself in an environment where you can't just rely on rote memory, you're in a good environment to notice and pick up on signals. Yeah, great point. Great point. And then the point, you know, for me also as a takeaway, uh, in addition to what you've said, you, you said it earlier, learning how to pay better attention. It's related to what we just said, but I think that to me is a huge takeaway. So thanks for that. My pleasure. All right. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. 
RebeccaRyan.com. <laughs> you even have a jingle for it. That's great. <laughs> Rebecca, this has been a fascinating conversation. I could talk for, for hours about this. Hopefully at some point we'll get you back on this show, but, but thanks for sharing and being such a great communicator and appreciate the work that you do and taking the time to be with me today. Henry, you did such thorough research. It was so easy to be in this conversation with you. I'd love to come back anytime. I appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Rebecca Ryan. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.